0: As always, we thank the worship team. They did a great job this morning, as always. Yeah. We're going to continue our trek through the book of Exodus. We're going to talk about Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you that uh, you are worthy of us all, and we'll see that... uh, You show us that for what you have done and what you've shown us about yourself. We pray that we would worship you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, recently it's become kind of um, a thing, almost an obsession with some to know where you come from. Maybe some of that's because the TV's pushing commercials for 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all those things and You know, that never really appealed to me. But I had a nephew who wanted to know about his genetic background. And his father had passed away, my brother. So I was the next best thing. And he wanted to say, well, you get yours done and then we'll compare it to mine. So we can see what kind of genetic background, what kind of our heritage is. So I said, sure, I don't have any problem with that. I knew where I came from. My father was German. His parents came over from the old country. Actually, they were from a German community living in Russia, they were German, they spoke German, they had German accents, they came over with their children to the United States to Cleveland and settled in the middle of the lower peninsula of Michigan, and they were farmers. They were farmers in Russia, they were farmers in the United States. My dad was, they were both German, so my dad had to be German. So that made me at least 50% 50% German if I know my genetics. Well, and then I wonder about my mom. My mom said she was Scottish. Her main name was Wallace. So if you're Scottish, your main name is Wallace. You must be related to William Wallace. Braveheart fame. And I go, All right, I'll take that. So I went ahead and spit in the cup, and we sent it off, and my genetic pattern came back and it turned out that, um, well, I was 99.4% European. Well, that's, that's agreeable, but only about two thirds Northwestern European. And in that group, Germany was less than 10%. And there was no Scottish in there at all. So that kind of brought up some concern and, a, and a, <laughs> more than that, about a third was Eastern European. I go, well, maybe my grandfather's family in Russia were more than just farmers. So, yeah, a third of Eastern Europeans. So that was interesting. But what was also interesting was that I was 1.2% Askansazi Jew, Mazeltov. <laughs> well, What this all has to do is I was thinking about this passage in Exodus. And the people, the Israelites in in Egypt were there for 430 years. Did they know their heritage? Did they know the God of their fathers? And you know, we have very little information. We know that that God had a personal relationship with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the garden. And they sinned, they fell, and they were cast out of the garden. And then if you look down the line of the people who came from Adam and Eve, it was seven generations before you get to Enoch who was mentioned that he walked with God and was no more. And then you go down the line until you get to Noah. there's no one else who had a relationship with God as far as we know. But Noah's righteous in his age. And of course, because of Noah, we know that he's, he saved the world. The world for, was from him because of the, of the ark. And then you don't hear anything about it until you get to Abraham. And all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to choose this man, Abraham, and bring him out of the east, and he's going to be the father of my people. Not because of anything Abraham did. Abraham did not warrant that. He did not deserve that. God chose Abraham out of the blue. Now we know that because of Abraham's response and faith, he followed and believed God. And God made a covenant with Abraham that from him, he will create a great nation. And out of that great nation, all the nations and all the people will be blessed. And we know that's referring to Jesus. But, Did the people in Egypt know that? What did they know? We we don't really know. We don't know if they had any formal worship. Remember, there was no law given at that point. There was no tabernacle. There was no no set worship or anything like that. How did they worship? Or did they worship? We don't know. We don't know if they knew who they were. We do know that the midwives... When Moses was born, feared God and did not kill the male Israelite babies. We know that. That's all we know. And then we have Moses. Moses comes along. God saves him providentially. We know that story about his mother putting him in a basket and he was saved and not killed, preserved. And why was Moses preserved? Because he was a fine-looking baby. That's all it says. It doesn't say he was good. It says he was a fine-looking kid, so his mother saved him. But God had other plans for Moses. So what did Moses know about his heritage? What did Moses know about, about his people, about their God? And we know that at least Moses identified with the Hebrews. So he knew, even though he grew up in Pharaoh's household as a grandson, basically, of Pharaoh, He knew that he was Hebrew and when he saw an Israelite and an Egyptian fighting he took the Israelite stance and he killed the Egyptian. And that caused him, and he was 40 years old, caused him to leave and go out in the desert. He was in the desert in 40 years and at that time he was introduced to the God of the universe. At the burning bush God spoke to Moses and said, I am who I am. And the famous statement. And Moses at that time was put into a training program. That he would begin to know who the God of the universe was. And we know that God brought him back to Egypt to save his people, the Israelites. Now, How was he going to convince the Israelites? They didn't know this God. You know, they knew the general revelation, you know, there was a universe that somebody had to create and we could see that magnificent power in the things that are created. But what else do they know about God? As far as they know, not a lot. Moses came back to introduce the Israelites to their, their God, the God of their fathers. And he did that in a remarkable way. We look at, we look at um, Pharaoh's resistance to let the people go and worship, to leave, to freedom. But God used that. We look at those plagues that happened, those 10 plagues that God was showing Pharaoh and the Egyptians, his power and his might, and that's true. But you know, I think he was showing the Israelites who he was even more. He was showing them who he was and what control he had over, over the universe. You look at the plagues, and we know that the plagues were, were to show God's superiority to the Egyptian gods. He turned water into to blood in the Nile, and the fish died and the land stank. Frogs gathered heaps and the land stank. Got something about stinky land here the, the gnats and you know the magicians up to this point could reproduce those those plagues but they could not they could not stop the water from being blood they could not stop the frogs from taking over they could just reproduce it they had more injury but then it gets to the gnats and the magicians couldn't do that they couldn't reproduce the gnats and then the flies and we know that the land of Goshen where the Israelites were was, was not plagued by the flies and livestock died. And we know that the livestock of the Egyptians were affected and not the Israelites. We know that the boils came on man and beast, but on the Egyptians, but not the, not the Hebrew people. Hail came in and destroyed everything, man, beast, and plant, but not in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. Locusts came and they affected the Egyptians and ate everything that was left. And the darkness fell over Egypt, but not over the land of Goshen, not over the Israelites where there was light. And then lastly, the Passover, where God made a way for the blood sacrifice to save the firstborn of the Israelites. But the firstborns of the Egyptians were taken. God revealed himself to the people in Israel through these plagues, through his character, and that brings us really to where we are today. This is the first song that's mentioned in the Bible. And, and it tells us a lot about his character. So let's read that together, if you would, and it'll be up on the screen. See Exodus 15, 1 through 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea. He has chosen, his chosen officers were sunk. In the Red Sea, the, f- the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. All the blasts of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam, she didn't sing that. And Miriam sang, sang to them, sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed graciously, the horse and his rider has thrown into the sea. What a phenomenal song. The first song ever mentioned. Now my grandkids were waiting for me to get a tambourine and start dancing at this time. But remember, it's only the women who did that. (laughs) Now from this passage, several several things are really apparent. Just going down the list, and I I just took this and said what God did. And first of all, he triumphed. He is their strength. He is their salvation. He is their God. He is their Father's God. He is the Lord, Yahweh. The name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. The self-existent, eternal, unchangeable God. His right hand is powerful. He overtakes his adversaries. He is unlike any other so-called God. He is majestic in holiness. He is a doer of awesome deeds. He is a doer of wonders. He leads his people in steadfast love. He redeems his people. He guides his people to his holy abode, his sanctuary. He instills fear and terror in the enemies of his people, and he reigns forever. All those things from this passage that Moses and the people of Israel sang to God. The statement, what God has done, Shows who God is, really applies us. What God has done shows who God is. First of all, it shows his power, his, his omnipotence, all powerful. It shows his wrath, and this is a little bit touchy. God is so holy that it would be not right for him to tolerate sin. Divine wrath is holy hatred of sin and its perpetrators. We like to say God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Well, I don't think that's true. Those people, those Egyptians did not think that God loved them so much. This statement is from a theologian. I thought it was very appropriate about this wrath aspect. It says, it is the manifestation of the repugnance of a holy God against all who defile, disrupt, and destroy the world that he has made. So that's going to be really important as we go through the conquest of Canaan. That God cannot tolerate sin. Also, this pastor shows his supremacy. God is superior, not only to his enemies, but also to their gods. He is utterly incomparable, majestic in holiness. Also shows God's love, his steadfast love for his people, His covenant-keeping love for his people. His absolute loyalty to those people that he has chosen. The descendants of Abraham. This is the God that we need. This is the God that Moses... This is the God that the Israelites needed. A God who is always with us. A God who is powerful to save us. Who triumphs over sin. A God of wrath. Who will see to it that justice is ultimately carried out. A God of steadfast love. A God who will take us home to live with Him forever. Moses had this relationship with God. And God revealed to the people of Israel His character and His love for them. God chose Moses just like He chose Abraham. Not for anything they had done. And how... how important, and how significant is that for us? Because God has chosen us, his people, not because we were good, not because we were good-looking, not because we were just, but he chose us because he loved us. God revealed himself to the people of Israel. God reveals himself to his people. God reveals himself to us Because we are His people. And you look at that. How has God revealed Himself? Well, same way He did to the Egyptians through general revelation, the creation. But really specifically, He has revealed Himself to us through His Son. And if you look at John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to His disciples. This is His last night. He's going to be with them. And He talks about that He's going to go away and prepare a place for them in John 14, 6, he says the statement, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We all know that verse. Let's read on. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. For now you know him and have seen him. Philip, who don't hear much about Philip, but Philip asked an important question. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? How can you say, Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. We know that the whole book of John, as John summarizes it in John 20, he said, I've written these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you may have life in his name. We look on and look at Hebrews. Hebrews 1. Verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to a, our fathers, We know God today because, because of Jesus, His Son, the exact imprint of His nature who reveals Himself to us, the Holy Trinity, the Son and the Father. God reveals Himself to us because we are His people. Turn a page over to Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people of his own possessions who are zealous for good deeds. Jesus purchased us. We are people of his possession. So we sing a different song. I was thinking about all the songs we sang and the songs we sang this morning, how appropriate they are. But a song came back to me that we used to sing years ago sitting on the floor of a guy named Dean Trog's house in Boulder, Colorado. And he's everything to me. I just want to read the words. In the stars his handiwork I see. On the wind he speaks with majesty. Though he ruleth over land and sea, he's everything to me. I will celebrate nativity, for it has a place in history. Sure, he came to set his people free. What is that to me? Till one day I met him face to face, and I sought the wonder of his grace Then I knew that he was more than just a God who didn't care, who lived way up there. And now he walks beside me day by day, ever watching over lest I stray, helping me to find that narrow way. He's everything to me. We sing a new song. We will sing a different song. We will sing with the elders, with the angelic host in time to come. We will sing... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. We will sing worthy as the Lamb who is slain for us. We will sing a new song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can only thank you that you have saved us you have redeemed us that we can sing now that you're everything to us and that we will sing holy 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 is the lord god almighty god i pray that if there are people who don't know you here they'll be encouraged to to seek you out so they can sing a new song